AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So Stan, there's some developments with the Microtik router vulnerability, right? You looked into that? Yes. Uh, somebody pointed me at a really great article at the Hacker News, and uh, it's really interesting. So Tenable Research, uh, they discovered a set of vulnerabilities impacting Microtik devices, specifically Microtik routers, and um, they found a combination of flaws that allows them to basically run any command on these Microtik devices. And I, I don't know why, I'm always interested by these kinds of exploits, and I love digging deeper into them. There's so many clever people out there, and I just always enjoy looking at the work uh, that they produce and understanding how these exploits work at, at the lowest levels. The proof of concept code is really uh, easy to execute. Uh, the one thing that's a little bit weird, and I'm not sure what that has to do with, apparently to trigger it, the first thing you have to do is attempt to telnet into the device, but it's, you, know, you just bounce out. And once you do that, then you can trigger the exploit by running this uh, by the way exploit. And so once you do this, it's, you, you could see how easy it is. You just kind of execute the command and then you try to telnet into the device. This time you already kind of know the password. It actually brute forces the password. Uh, and then that's it, you can execute any kind of command. You basically have backdoor access into the router. Right. And so here's how it works. I don't know if you could see this weird path name. You know, we're all used to paths not having quite so many dots. Right. Some kind of a, a directory traversal attack. Uh, this thing actually uses a specific type of binary protocol. If you read the code and you're interested in this type of stuff, you, you're going to enjoy this a lot. But then the passwords are not actually stored hashed, like we're used to hearing that passwords, you know, there's hashes, you got to have salted hashes. That's not the way the passwords are stored in this file. They're actually stored uh, with a kind of like a key, but the key depends on the username and a static value. So those two items combined allow you to basically decrypt the passwords that are in this file. So that's what this code does. It's so beautiful in its simplicity. It was interesting that the Microtik router vulnerability had been known. It was sort of out there, but you know, the more the, the researchers looked at the repercussions of what could be done, the, the more critical it, it became. So the vulnerability that was not critical was this directory traversal vulnerability. Okay. You know, it was probably listed as medium, I believe. Yeah. And so they were able to use this directory to say, well, hold on, you can get some pretty sensitive files. Now that you can get some pretty sensitive files, what can you do with those? Right. So most of the time, you know, you got to go like crack the hash and things like that. But here, they, I guess they had access to the firmware, which is not that hard to accomplish. You know, you buy the router, you have access to the firmware. And they probably reverse engineered it, I'm guessing. They figured out this encryption algorithm. It's pretty simple. And all you have to do now is replicate it. And unfortunately, um, uh, for the way the passwords are stored, it allows you to then uh, basically get them. It's almost as if they're not encrypted. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, the ability to go out and grab the password file, I think that's one of the most sensitive uh, files you can, you can you know, pull back and exfiltrate. So that's one of the more, you know, dangerous aspects of this vulnerability. One other thing I found in the article interesting is after they had found this vulnerability, 
they also listed like a handful of other ones that they had disclosed. So, you know, as devices or class of devices uh, get compromised, they get a lot more eyes on them. They tend to find a lot more of these vulnerabilities that can be exploited. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that's actually, yeah, I have it up on the screen here. They got like four additional vulnerabilities that are a little bit lower compared to this. So I actually went ahead and I was like, hey, what's going on on the port that's associated with this vulnerability? So the default port is like 8291 TCP. And I went back, uh, I think a year, to see what kind of activity do we have, uh, scanning activity. And you can actually see uh, in the chart here, there's quite a bit of scanning activity, but most of it happened way earlier this year uh, in, uh, I guess, is that March, uh, the end of March. Um, so I went and I said, well, was that like one IP address or a bunch of IP addresses where there are multiple sources? And you could see back in March, there was uh, something like, was that 130, up to 130,000 devices, probably more like 100,000 devices possibly impacted. But you could see that scanning traffic did go down uh, and it's remained low. Uh, so I went ahead and I said, well, what do we have for the last 30 days? So when you zoom in on the last 30 days, things aren't as exciting. I was, you know, it's not something dramatic like a big spike. Uh, but you'll see here on an average day, there's not a lot of scanning, but there are some spikes. So now that this vulnerability has been kind of released again, you know, maybe it's not a default password situation, but you got these encrypted passwords that are really easy to right. brute force. So I think uh, we'll probably see an increase in scanning activity against this port. Um, I also went ahead and I geographically mapped this, and you could see the devices are kind of all over the place. Yeah. Uh, this is just a sample of some of the devices uh, that are scanning on this port right now, and these are probably all, you know, microtech routers or or things like that that are scanning the internet. Yeah, looking no for real focus area because that I think that distribution sort of reflects the network, right? Yeah, I, th I think this means that it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. You know, these kinds of devices are everywhere or in most places. You could see there's like a little hotspot there in South America um, and maybe in, in Europe there a little bit. But yeah. most of the devices, I mean, there's not that many IP addresses in this list, maybe 500 or so devices. Okay. Most of them are, you know, they're kind of all over the place. There's not one real hotspot. You know, there's some no, some documented CVEs associated with the MicroTik router. Uh, so really what you want to do is go get all the documentation for those CVEs. Make sure, you know, when and if, if the patches aren't out, when they come out, that you're patching all your, uh, your routers and, and, you know, keeping up with the latest code that, you know, address these specific CVEs. Hey Mike, so we always hear about phishing attacks and it sounds like you have a story about like a latest trend in phishing attacks against Iceland. Yeah, so this was actually a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a phishing campaign that targeted several thousand of the 350,000 citizens of Iceland. Uh, it involved impersonation of the Icelandic police and an email would go out to a victim asking them to come in for questioning or they risked an arrest warrant. So if you clicked on the link that was in that email, it would take you to a page on a replica of the police website. You would have to log in with your social security number uh, to download some, some documents that had the details around the, the case for, against you. Uh, what it really was trying to do was install the REMCOS remote access tool uh, and give the attacker you know, full access to your computer, ultimately to try to uh, get some banking credentials. So there's a few interesting details I found in this story. So the first one 
is that the attacker had registered a domain that was very similar to the official domain. So the police in Iceland are called the Lowreglan, and I looked up how to pronounce that. Uh, so it's L-O-G-R-E-G-L-A-N dot I-A um, is its official domain, and the attacker had registered L-O-G-R-E-G-I-A-N dot I-S, so uh, an I versus an L. Uh, the second was when you clicked on the link and it took you to the replica of the webpage, um, they had nearly perfectly replicated that page. So if you had been to that site prior, uh, you know, it would, look, it would look legitimate. It seemed like they had previous information about some of the users that they were targeting. Um, so they were able to utilize that as part of the phishing attack. When it asked you for your social security number and you put it in, it actually validated that they were, they were correct social security numbers. So uh, if it was incorrect, it would reprompt you. So the theory is that they had access to a previously linked database of all the Icelandic users uh, so they could do that validation. So it kind of lended to that credibility that you know, you're, you're getting reprompted. Um, the domain was taken down uh, the day after the attack, the, the, um, the vulnerable, the malicious domain. Uh, they recommended that any users who had downloaded the tools uh, you know, had changed their passwords, had wiped their computers. Uh, it's just really, you know, kind of different than, than you typically see. It was a little more sophisticated, a little more well uh, thought out when you see, you know, a campaign of this scale. It's interesting that it only targeted that specific geographic area. It might have had to do a lot of research to figure out exactly how to target those users. Well, they actually said that uh, they believe that it's like, you know, someone who's obviously familiar with the Icelandic administrative system, you know, certainly someone who's familiar with the language, right, that has such a, you know, credible email page and, and understand, you know, kind of the nuances of the, the Icelandic system. I think when law enforcement goes ahead and looks into this case, they're probably going to want to see somebody that, you know, has some domain knowledge of, you know, what's normal um, within this area and, and somebody that knew what to mimic. So that, that was interesting to me. Yeah, they're investigating it, and they, they took down the domain, they reached out to all the um, affected users. They're not really reporting how many uh, users were, were targeted uh, or through what hosting service. So, uh, you know, my thought is it must probably be some local provider, you know, versus something that's, that's global like Gmail. They did find that some of the um, uh, command and control servers that they found communicating with the remote access tool were based in Germany and Holland. So there's some additional investigation into maybe who owns that, and they still haven't, haven't found exactly who the, uh, the attacker was. Those uh, countries usually have pretty strict privacy laws, yeah. so it makes it sometimes difficult to find out exactly who the customer of the hosting service might be. Well, it's interesting, though, to see how, you know, how, how something like this gets handled elsewhere. So. Yes. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing that they right. took things down so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's uh, right. very telling of how serious uh, the response efforts have been. Uh, you know, like people are getting really good at, at taking uh, action. If we probably looked at this like maybe five to ten years ago, I don't think it would have taken, you know, just two days uh, to contain the situation. Right. But I think uh, now, unfortunately, more people, fortunately and unfortunately, you know, people are, are more tuned into this stuff. You should always have a certain amount of almost paranoia about getting an email that says something was wrong with your account. I think these days, most banking sites, most uh, you know, other sites that you go to or use, they know what the attackers are up to. So they're probably not sending you these emails that say, oh, immediately log in and immediately reset your password.
Joe, I hear you have a story about a fake application updater that also installs crypto mining. Yeah, so uh, I picked this up from ThreatPost, but it's the folks at Palo Alto Networks did some research um, where they found fake flash updates. So a vulnerability that picks up the actual pop-up and installer from Adobe's flash updater. So a user gets an update, says, you know, you need to update your flash, um, clicks OK, it looks normal, and actually the installer it goes ahead and it installs Flash, so it actually updates Flash. But if you watch the traffic at the same time that it's updating Flash, the, the Flash update is almost like a mask of what's going on behind. While the Flash update traffic is happening, you're also opening up uh, a port to do the MG rig cryptocurrency mining. Uh, I reached out to Stan after you know I knew I was going to talk about the story, and we did a little research on the. Uh, the port to see what we could find. So Stan, this is the probes, right? So this is the number of uh, scan attempts on this against this port. Right, in and the it's, last it's right at around the same time frame that's listed in the story. It's about what early mid August. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, like maybe September twenty fourth okay, so uh, to twenty later actually. So you wonder if you know, we think that because it's. It's one source, right? Yes. When we looked at the uh, uh, at this data a little bit closer, we were able to tie it back to just the one source right. scanning for it. So this is the actual scan traffic. So somebody definitely was looking on TCP 14444 to see what was going on. Um, but then we did another search, and this is on the probes, right? So this is so this is like all flow activity including established activity, not just the scanning. Okay. And you can see it fills in a little bit nicer there. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a bolder picture. And actually, we alarmed on it a couple of times. So, you know, I, I had some conspiracy theories with Stan that maybe this is the creator of the malicious code trying to see how his stuff is doing. You know, is my, is my you know, fake, jo uh, fake flash update working? How many people are downloading it? But you don't you don't think that's the case, right, Stan? I think I feel like it could be a security researcher who might have um, happened upon this malware, or maybe was reverse engineering it. And right. it, notice this this is a pretty odd port, fourteen four 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 four. You know, it's, you don't see that often. And because of that, actually, we have such a beautiful baseline here to be able to explore it. It's right. so unique. I think we're able to identify you know, one security researcher potentially who was maybe interested in that port and scanning at a large uh, volume. We're able to see flow activity uh, with possibly victims of this successful attempt and just their connections to, um, to this port. Just because it was so unique, it was a little bit easier to pick out and analyze. You know, it's sort of the, the not happy ending here is that the research from Palo Alto Networks, they can't they haven't been able to attribute attribute how this is getting installed. So they don't know that something's being delivered or really how it's it's getting, how this traffic is happening. So um, still probably a little bit more investigation needs to be done here uh, in terms of how it's getting onto folks' machines, how to patch it, how to fix it. So uh, really more of, of where the research was seen, you know, finding the traffic as it's playing and not so much how to, how to you know, stop it from being installed or how to fix the vulnerability. Yep. Any thoughts, Mike? Yeah, so one thing that kind of stood out to me too, and it's similar to the, the fish story we just, we just talked about, is just the time and effort put in to make this look legitimate. Like I think they had added Adobe pop-ups, 
um, just to, you know, so the installer looked like it was legitimately installing a flash update. So it's just, they, they tend, tend to get more sophisticated and it's harder to detect unless you have something like monitoring your network traffic or you can, you know, you can tell that your CPU usage is going up. It just gets difficult to know if there's something hidden. If you're browsing the internet and suddenly something tells you you need to update your Flash, it's probably just better to go to the Flash website and download the latest version. Don't click through the pop-up. And you should probably do the same with most other software packages, within reason. So Joe, this week I wanted to give you an update on the latest in internet weather. And uh, looking at the most pro ports, we can actually see that not much has changed. We've got the same uh, heavy hitters as from previous um, reports. We have the Ethereum wallet, uh, the Android debug bridge, all the other ports. Uh, so I randomly uh, picked one of these so ports. Stan, before, you know, we're saying that, do you, you kind of agree that the reason we're not seeing much change in the top 10 is that just the volume of scanning on these same, from these same, you know, campaigns, botnets, these same actors is so high that even if there's something new, it's not able to crack the, right. the volume. These, these are basically, right, exactly, the top 10. So week over week, if you just compare the volumes, uh, these are the biggest by volume. Okay. Uh, but I did make a promise on the last threat track that I'm going to go and try to analyze this other category. Right. So actually, this week, I did the top 20. Okay. Um, unfortunately, even here, uh, there's not much uh, to really look at. Uh, we've seen these as well in previous uh, episodes of Threat Track. Um, you have, I guess, uh, 1911, that's the Niagara AX Tritium Fox protocol. There is a, some, I guess, information disclosure vulnerability there. So there's a lot of security researchers scanning there. I think what we discovered with, by looking at the top 20 is that it's ports that we've looked at previously. Uh, everything is about the same except there's uh, all alternates. Uh, you know, in, in the top 10, we saw MS SQL. In the top 20, we also see MySQL. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw RDP, and here we see VNC, so. Right, and we're seeing the other web ports. Yeah, other. are in the top 10. Other alternate web ports. Those are all, all sort of the same, probably similar things that you're scanning for on those that you're scanning for on 81 and 80? Yeah, I think 8080, most people use that to scan for proxies, okay. uh, to yeah. see if there's any open proxies out there. Um, but occasionally, it's got things like Apache Tomcat uh, management interface or other, it's like an alternate web port, a lot right. of management interfaces are there. So a little bit hard to gauge exactly what's going on, uh, whereas with some of these other ports, it's a little bit simpler. Um, so that's for the uh, most pro ports. You could still you could see that as you start breaking things down, the, these by volume are starting to get smaller, especially as compared to the top ten. And the other category now makes up you know the bulk. Uh, so as you go to the top hundred, let's say, is really the slivers are going to be very very small. Um, maybe we'll try that one time. I wonder if we could search just by the biggest change in volume, not so much by the top amount of volume, but the biggest week-to-week -week change in volume. Yeah, I think that's something interesting to, to consider. Yeah. I think uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to try that. Cool. Maybe, maybe something to do next time I'm here. So now we're going to redirect. I know this part chart looks very similar, but actually this is organized by the most sources pro probing. 
Um, so here I just picked two ports because nothing has really changed, just to revisit them and understand the activity that's happening. Uh, so the first is port 445 TCP. Uh, you could see this is going back two years, uh -huh. um, and you could see the activity has increased tremendously uh, over the last two years. But in recent time periods, it's kind of stabilized, so it's about the same. And uh, our loyal listeners probably remember, we talk about this port all the time, uh, it has to do with WannaCry. Uh, well, actually, we, we briefed this slide in uh, presentations, and the, the farthest back is actually remnants of Configure, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and right around here where this spike is, yeah. that's when WannaCry came out and all the big articles about it. You could see it really went down. Actually, if you zoom in on that, you'll see how much it went down. But then slowly start creeping, uh, creeping back up. And when you zoom into it, you could actually see this interesting pattern you know, it must be that it's a lot of machines that actual people use versus servers that stay up because during the daytime you get more computer scanning probably as devices come online and during the nighttime, uh, you know, there's fewer devices scanning and that's why you see this kind of weird dark blue and light blue pattern. It's really because of that. Um, but you could see, you know, looking back mm, a few months, the activity is kind of the same. It's interesting just to get more of a historical trend, like a real long-term trend of some of these real popular scanning ports and, and see how they've changed over time. So the other port I wanted to look at was port 81 TCP, and I did the same thing since it's something that comes up a lot. I went and I looked at uh, 720 days. Um, so the likely targeting here is a vulnerability of go-ahead web servers. What I find interesting about this, actually around this time, there was a big article published about a big botnet that started. And you could see these are scanned sources. So this is up to like 50,000 devices per hour scanning. So maybe 50,000 you know, botnet participants. But then it went away and it spiked. And, and we covered this on ThreatTrack before, yeah. if you go back in time. What's happened since is, the scanning activity, I know you can see it, it's just slightly increasing. Like if you look at, um, I guess maybe a year ago here, you know, you're maybe 5,000 devices per hour scanning, but it's doubled in this year. And now there's 10,000 devices per hour scanning. The number of devices that are scanning for the sport, probably associated with a botnet, has doubled uh, in about a year's time, but very, very slowly almost in a way that you haven't noticed, unless uh, you know, you, you're kind of paying attention and uh, keeping track of it. And I actually wanted to dig into this a little bit further, and I checked our sensors uh, for uh, all kind, you know, what, what kind of activity is being observed on the sport. And uh, what I found out is that the activity we're seeing is very similar to the activity described in this um, uh, blog post here. Okay. Um, so, uh, very similar commands uh, we're observing that leverage basically this exact vulnerability. The only thing that might be different today um, is that other uh, commands are being issued. You know, as you know, in, I guess in March it was something a little bit different. And if you just search for uh, this port and vulnerabilities on it, you'll find you know heavy coverage in April about by NetLab actually um, about this very uh, same vulnerability. So it's still the same vulnerability being leveraged, just different 
commands being executed okay. today. Good work. And that's it for the internet weather this week. That's interesting. Thanks, Stan. Interesting stuff. The views expressed on AT&T Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.